Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to this week's edition of the Digital Shop Talk Radio. I'm Tom Dorsey and we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking recruiting and specifically how to build an all-star team on a budget inside of your shop. And so welcome for the first time on my show. Uh, you might have caught me on his show uh, a couple weeks back. Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway slash Find a Wrench. <laughs> Jay, welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, kudos to being able to say my last name. That's amazing. Oh, dude, I practiced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I got another hard one coming up. And Fred Gaswicki Jr., welcome back, sir. Thanks, Tom. Good times again. Compliments on the last name. You've got practice. Yes, sir. Well, because, uh, you know, Fred is an old friend of the Digital Shop Talk Radio. You guys might have recognized this handsome young man. He's been on several episodes where we talk recruiting and we talk building a bench. And we'll get an update from Fred, how things are progressing in his shop. It's probably been about six months since we had him on. And I know he's been busy, busy, busy. But Fred is one of those outside of the box thinkers. And so, and he just happens to be uh, a client of Jay. And so I thought, what a great idea to bring these two guys together. They seem to get along. I mean, I can't even tell you the stuff they were talking about in the pre-show. So <laughs> no, this is a, this is a, we try to keep this PG uh, on this uh, episode. And of course, my expert panel of experts, Uwe Kleinschmidt, founder of Auto Vitals. Welcome, sir. Good morning and good, what is it, afternoon for some people? Right? Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> somewhere somewhere in the world it's uh it's beer 30. <laughs> so gentlemen let's jump right in you know i want to get kind of an update and kind of talk about you know and actually jay if you could kick us off a little bit you know you just had a nice event that i you know and i wish i could have got in a little bit uh you know the whole day yeah because it was really the parts that i caught was you know, and it, you did a kind of a recruiting online summit it was Technician 2000 was the name of it. Give us a little update about how that was just last week. Yeah, how'd that worked out for you. It was great. Honestly, it was our first virtual conference that we've ever hosted. And we, uh, we wanted to put something together to really get the, we call it the voice of technician, but really getting the voice of technician, because I would go to a lot of other conferences and everybody would talk about technicians, but the technicians weren't actually in the room. And so we wanted to get something where we kind of got everybody in the same area, in the same virtual room uh, to talk about all of the, the key issues that are out there and uh, really where some of the disconnect is between management and technicians, because we see it a lot on the recruiting side. So we had a, a two day event uh, last week. The first day was focused on automotive. The second day was on diesel. Uh, we work with both, both industries uh, exclusively and really, what those two days were, were to get a, get a group of technicians together to talk, uh, get all the issues and, and what's great, what's not great about the industry out on the table, uh, and then really dive into that. So we had a panel of managers, we had a panel of tech schools. Uh, we wanted to talk with tech schools about how could industry better support them. Uh, so we, we were able to do that and then uh, followed it up with uh, just kind of some industry leaders or ended the day with some industry leaders to talk about the industry in general. So uh, we, we kind of had, it was interesting because we had a mixture of uh, dealership people, we had a, a mixture of independent people, and it was really trying to get everybody in the same room and, and hopefully really talk about how we get more people into the industry and keep the ones that we already have. So uh, it was incredibly well attended. We're actually putting, uh, uh, I think all of the videos are now uh, for the automotive side out on YouTube, on our YouTube uh, Wrenchway channel. So uh, you can dive into those videos again. 
uh, be able to uh, to hear what they had to say. And and uh, overall, it was it was awesome. The, the, the panelists were incredible, really good people, and uh, uh, look forward to doing it again next year. Yeah. So so if folks want to get signed up for next time, they just Google Wrenchway and they they find you. Is there a, is there like a subscription or a, you know a sign up sheet you got somewhere you want to let people know how to find you? Yeah, so you can go to wrenchway.com uh, or find a wrench. Either way, you can get in touch with us. We do a lot of advertising for uh, for Technician, and when I say advertising, really kind of marketing to our demographic of customers and and whoever we want to get into that. Uh, but it really is. Uh, they can go to wrenchway.com or find a wrench, and uh, and we'll lead you to where you need to go. Awesome. You know, and, and he had a huge turnout, you know, I mean, it was, because it was a funny thing, you know, Fred, uh, when I talked to folks, you know, it, it, and, we were, and I was actually mentioning about, you know, being on, on Jay's podcast, I never miss, uh, you know, a seminar, a, a class, you know, information, a discussion about recruiting, you know, and it's one of those things in the industry where, it's a scary thing. You know, it's, it, some people think of it maybe like going to the dentist, right? You know, you don't want to go, it's going to be painful. You, you don't want it done right the first time. You never want to have to go back. But unfortunately, you know, building a, a solid all-star team in your business isn't that cut and dry. It's not a one and done emergency type of thing. And, and if it is for you, that's probably why you don't, you don't like it. You're struggling. It should be more like, working out, right? It should be more like constantly working to improve, looking for talent and building a bench if you don't have the opening now, or even rethinking or relooking at your operation in those traditional roles in your shop uh, to see how you can't maybe, you know, restructure so that you can bring in the talent as you find it. And Fred, we've, we've uh, had you on, like I said, you know, a couple times talking about exactly that and it's been a while how's it been working out for you i know it's been you've had some ups and downs this week especially um we we practice our hiring practice uh, our, our methods that we hire with our existing team um instead of going can you fix a car yup you're hired and hire him in just to find out everyone hates them you know, most of the time when you lose somebody, you're not losing them because of a lack of a skill. It's always some underlying issue, a personality conflict, um, some home drama that they carry around, like a trailer on the back of a truck, you know, whatever, whatever situation, it's never skill. So we realized that hiring purely off skill doesn't produce a good result. We use the reason you lose people to hire people. And we had a young man that a year and a half ago when he joined our team, he fit our team's uh, demographic. It's a list of qualities and character traits that we use when we interview each person. And gradually over the last two months, he had lost almost every single one of those characteristics and quality traits. And it was really sad to watch because having weekly one-on-one -on -one meetings with him, trying to talk to him about, you know, how can we get you back? Um, and it ended up where Monday of this week, uh, the young man actually got married on Saturday. Uh, it was a really big, he bit, he got married a couple months ago, but he had the ceremony on Saturday. We weren't able to do his quarterly review last week. So we did that on Monday and some of the things that were revealed made it clear to me that there was no improvement coming. There's not a light on the end of the tunnel. It was, I was looking down a well, it was not a tunnel. 
So I thought about it long and hard and I re-interviewed him in my head like I was hiring him and thought I would not hire this guy today if there was, I had no way around it. If I had to choose between hiring him and closing my shop, I am not hiring him. So <laughs> that's what I had to do Tuesday morning. And as crazy as that sounds, when you have a great business culture and someone leaves, um, that should decimate your team. It really should. But by talking it out with everybody, I did the exact exercise. I said, we're interviewing him right now. Let's talk this out. And amongst the group, we all realized that it was the right thing to do where today life is a better place. Um, our culture has improved. Each person has made it a point to come to me and thank me for what I did yesterday. Um, <laughs> so using that, and this is a learning, like you said, Tom, it's not a one and done. You don't go in, get your root canal and you're done. No. You're learning how to staff. You're learning how to interview. You're learning how to hire. You're getting better at it. And you're, you're getting better at it while your team is getting better at having a culture. So that's one of the things that happened is he outgrew our culture. Um, I hope he finds a great place to work next, but it's not here. And everyone here agrees that, you know, that's one of the main things we've had on the bench front. Uh, I have a couple people trying out for the bench right now. But with our current uh, three technician team, we have an A, a B, and a GS, but our GS is on growth hormone and steroids both. Um, so he's on, she's actually You don't on, need a lift, right? He, he just... wants to be a C plus by Thanksgiving. Like that's a voiced goal that's written. So we're definitely striving towards that. So we're getting some lower grade players on the bench right now so that when we have that demand and we have that need, we have somebody ready to fill that spot. But we want to be ready with a GS and a C tech on the bench ready to go. And this is a great time of year for that. Yeah, buddy. Shops are slowing down. People can stay where they're at, but they're becoming unhappy. And to just put out an ad or put out something that cures those pains, you know, that really can attract some top talent that fits your business culture. Wow. So, Jay, there's a lot to unpack there, buddy. So I want to kind of get started on, okay, so this is, this is kind of, you hit the nail on the head right away, Fred, and I really appreciate that. That was a fantastic update, you know, and, and it's not, you know, it's how it's business. You know, that's how, that's how business happens. You have to be prepared, right? You have to be prepared for these things and it's not bad on him, bad on you, bad on whatever. Right. But we can prevent these things. So Jay, what are best practices for vetting somebody? How would you go about talking about how do we make sure that that's going to be that cultural fit? How do we uncover? I mean, should we be, you know, snooping through Instagrams and, and, and social medias and doing drive-bys of their house to look and see if they, you know, they got that, uh, what was it? The truck with the, with the trailer strapped to the back of it, uh, if they're living in, in the driveway. I mean, but seriously, how do we get to that level to where you, yes, they got the skill. Yes. Their, their, their story that they're telling me during yeah. the interview is getting me worked up, but how do I do those extra steps to make sure I'm making the right decision? So one thing I absolutely love about Fred is how proactive he is, right? He's got processes put in place. He's got some things that I'll be frank, not a lot of shop owners have. Uh, and especially on the independent side, we work with all kinds of different independents and, and there's obviously the lower tier and then the mid tier and the higher tier. And you can tell just based on a conversation with where, where, a, uh, where a shop might be at. What we find, and I think this is what Fred hit directly on the head, the nail on the head, was trying to find that cultural fit. But in order to do that, you have to proactively look. And what we see all the time is, and really, most shops need a tech almost 
all the time, right? Like it's not like they're just they're they're fully staffed and they're happy. I, I always go back to an example where uh, I was managing a shop and uh, finally I had mentioned to the service manager there and I said, hey, listen, I think we're finally set on the shop. Like we're we're in good shape. And then that week it was like karma just bit me hard because that 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 tech got in a car accident. Uh, like our the A tech got in a car accident and was displaced for nine months. And at the time, not even knowing if he's able to come back, right? And so that puts you in a really, really bad position because then you're hiring out of desperation. You've got customers yelling at you that you have some, you know, you're two weeks out or whatever it is. And you're not able to get to, you know, even if it's a simple repair and trying to uh, get a tire fix or something like that. And that really puts you in an awkward position to where you end up hiring the, the first person that can breathe coming in the door, right? Yep, yep. And in order to avoid that, this is where Fred has a leg up on most, is that he's always looking. He's, he's putting pieces in place to be building that bench and maintaining relationships, not only just getting an application and saying, hey, we'll, we'll consider you next time we're, we're hiring, but actually developing a relationship with that person. So you get to know them ahead of time. You get to know if they're going to fit your culture. And it's not just in a crammed 30 to 45 minute period where the phone's ringing in the background and you're getting paged every 10 seconds. Like it, it is something where if you're able to actively engage with people uh, ahead of time when you don't desperately need them, and that's Fred mentioned, uh, you know, this might be a, t a time where shops are slowing down. What we see in that same time, shops slow down recruiting too, because and it's funny because it's everything's it cyclical. Should be the opposite, it right? That's opposite. when you should. That's when you should turn it up because that's when, as Fred mentioned, somebody that might be content but not happy is probably looking around the holidays. It starts to get dead, and you know maybe after you eat that Thanksgiving turkey, you're browsing your phone for jobs. Like I, people just don't think that way though. They, they think of like, oh no, we're in January and we are buried and we should have had somebody here 30 days ago and we don't. And then that's when that bad hire happens. That's when that person yeah. that doesn't fit the culture and they, everybody knows, and especially if you, if you get like a, a master level tech that comes in the door, most people are hiring that person, whether they fit the culture or not. Right. And it's because they're desperate for them. Yeah. And when desperate hires happen, that's when really, really bad stuff happens. So exactly how long have you been on math? Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we can work with, <laughs> well, we might be able to, well, let me, let me, but, um, but no, but seriously, you know, and so that brings up a great point though, is that, is that you have to engage when you find somebody that you would like to have on your team at some point you engage in Fred when we had you on you talked about you know and as a matter of fact this is you know this is how proactive Fred is just to steal that from from Jay is you know I think Fred today what do you what do you you're, you're cooking lunch for the for the crew right yes, you're coming on the show thank you very much you got more so and and I believe the last time we had you on you talked about engaging your bench folks you, you don't you you invite them down to have lunch with the crew the, the uh, most recent hire we have our gs came to we have a team meeting every wednesday where i buy lunch or cook lunch do something nice for your group and we invited him to two different team meetings because we wanted to gauge how his interaction was uh, we wanted to gauge if he was coachable we wanted to gauge if you can get that newness to wear off because everybody starts and they're new get that newness to wear off before they work for you 
find out who they actually are. You know, just like you said, you hire out of desperation. Most shop owners forget what it was like to be an employee. Yes. And when you take that perspective and go, man, this is this guy's first day at his new job with a bunch of strangers. We try and get rid of a lot of that. Get to know everybody you work with before you start. So yeah, I mean, we, we've invited bench members to fun events. Like we went, I didn't have a bench member. We went paintballing. <clears throat> Any kind of fun stuff we go to, invite people. And Because the worst thing you do is spend some money on a fun event and avoid hiring Mr. Wrong. I am all about doing that. That, that would is, be the, that'd be the best investment you could make then, Fred, right? There's no W-2. Yeah. Just that alone. You don't have to send them a letter next year to remind yourself that you employed them for one day. You know, I mean, just, it, it just, you've got to try and not look from your perspective. You have to try and look from the new employee's perspective, from the people that work at your shop's perspective and see what you're doing. Because when you hire that super mechanic that's on meth and you slam him in your shop, everybody's like, what is wrong with the boss? Why did he bring him in here? Yeah. And, you know, and if it does go sideways, well, you can always remember that you got to shoot him in the face with a paintball, you know, at some point. And so, you know, you got that, so you got, you got that memory. So, you know, write that down, folks. I mean, you should take your crew out paintballing. I think it's a genius idea. You know, you get to work out some steam and, uh, you know, you have fun memories. Uva, let's talk about the digital shop in here because we've been talking a lot about, you know, rebounce rule. We have a lot of shops that are blazing that trail right now. And when it comes to, you know, and I know that from a tech's perspective, um, yeah, you know, you got to have people with the skills and the talents. And I mean, you know, and you guys tell me because it seems to me that it's becoming more and more difficult. You have to have more and more training and more and more licenses that you have to pay for and more and more of this really complex skill set that, I, I mean, I could see it at some point. You know, if you're trying to work, either we're going to specialize and we're going to work on one line of vehicles and I can afford all the training on that line, or, you know, I'm going to have to kind of farm that out at some point. But from the front counter, we've, you know, we've kind of through the digital shop, we've been able to open up, I think, opportunities. And if you could talk to us a little bit about how you perceive that, you've done a lot of work and analysis and study and how the front counter interacts, the dynamic between the individuals and also between the motorist in the, in the front counter. And how do you see that digital shop position alleviating some of that stress and worry from a recruiting perspective in a digital shop? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I have a burning question though. Please, uh, to, to don't let it burn, just fire them out. This is the digital shop talk radio. We're quick on the draw here. So I don't want to, uh, but here's the thing, right? Business books tell you hire always people who are better than you. Yeah. Right. You can write that easily down and then in practice, it's going to be hard, right? So, so my question to Jay and Fred is, I mean, I love this proactive reaching out and then having, um, experience the, the the team culture do you have know of any episodes where then existing employees said oh wow he is better than me and 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 start talking about it might not be a good fit but the but the whole reason behind it is is, is something else is a, is a personal um fear of being not as important as anymore. Being replaced. And, and maybe replaced, but 
you know, losing the role they're playing. I mean, do, do you see stuff, stuff like that? I, I personally do. Uh, and more so and is it healthy. Also, is it healthy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see it more with big companies in, in all honesty uh, than, than smaller companies, because I think with a small business owner, like a Fred or, you know, like a, a, anybody, um, you know, that's got a shop with say 10 or less techs, uh, they're, they're looking at like, how do I pay the bills this month and move to the next month? Right? Like it's truly a, um, you know, you, you want to make your business better regardless. And I think for the most part, the business owner seems secure where I see it uh, as different is maybe in a setting where you've got a, um, and honestly, on more of the dealership side, but more of like a fixed ops director down to a service manager. And if that service manager is starting to make so much progress that they're impeding on that, then there's some some I type see, of yes. infighting and jealousy. But for the most part, if if you're a shop owner and you've got a really, really highly talented service manager, maybe there is a tech that's pushing at you and, and is really, you know, strong uh, a strong communicator, a, you know, very well-organized person that could push that service manager to be maybe a little bit jealous, but I don't really see, and Fred, I'll let you speak to this more because you're, you're dealing on it with a, with a daily, on a daily basis, but I, I don't see the jealousy or that, you know, that kind of worry from a owner to a manager level more than maybe the tech to the manager level. Am I off base there, Fred? No, no. I think what you said about the big company, small company thing definitely speaks true. Because if you've got a shop with five locations and 45 employees, it's much harder to manage the culture because it can gain its own thing at each store or you can get little groups of people when you have a smaller business like we're under 10 employees. It's very easy to manage the culture. And if your culture promotes growth, if your culture promotes evolution, um, and if your culture promotes helping the people around you become better, then actually one of your goals is to make those people better than you. So it's welcomed in a smaller environment uh, because it's easier to manage that culture. I think that's, that's the main factor is I, just today I was talking to my text and I was like, I'm excited for the day where I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when it's a full electric car with the inverter, whatever, they start talking to because I'm not taking technician training anymore. I haven't taken technician training in seven or eight years because I don't want to do that. Um, and I was just telling them, I look forward to the day where you guys are telling me what's wrong with the car and I just have that blank stare. Like, cool. Glad you figured that out. You know, like your customer again. But when you get into that bigger shop situation where there's multiple, there's, you know, 40 employees, even 20 employees, it can get where what I need to know what's going on and egos get in the way. So between culture management and uh, ego management, I don't know if that's a thing. I think that you could avoid that, but that's something you've got to be very complacent of. And as the owner, Uva knows this, you cannot have an ego in the way. It will be that only that Jay knows if your ego's there, it's just a wall to prevent you from going forward. Yeah, you know, well, that's, that's been my approach for, you know, building finer edge from the start is go identify really highly talented people and try to get them on board. Right. Because that's like, for me, I know I'm not going to be all things for everybody and that there are, you know, I, I think what I'm really aware of are what my weaknesses are. And then I try to hire into those weaknesses uh, to support that. And that's really been effective for us internally. 
because there, you know, you, there's people that bring different things to the table. And that could be the same thing with technicians, right? If you had a full lineup of just a level technicians, you're probably not going to have that successful of a business because one, nobody would ever want to do an oil change, but then two, it's a, it, you just, you're paying so much for an A-level tech as compared to like, if you're trying to drive margin, I, it, it, I don't know. It's a great question, Uva. Like, and I think it's a, I think a, a shop would be foolish to, uh, to do that. But it's also a little change, you know, old school thinking was different, right? And yeah, um, you take a certain risk. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk digital shop. Two episodes, um, coming to mind one was we got a chat through the autovitals.com website i don't know how many years ago where a tech wrote a chat and said i quit my boss now knows everything about me right oh, i remember that yeah <laughs> what and 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 the nowhere other to hide nowhere to hide and the and the other um um thing was um Lindsay Sinopolu, maybe she is in the, in, in the audience, she was last week. Um, she got interviewed about the digital shop and she said it increased morale of, of the team. And I'm thinking, huh? I never thought about that. And then through her interview, uh, it, it made so total sense. You know, both episodes show the transparency creates an environment in which data rules, right? And not emotions. Uh, emotions and you know the dog ate my homework is a valid excuse right and and so I, i'm curious how fred how you experience that um if, if you have a comparison to before the digital shop after whether you have some things to share which go in the same direction where transparency enabled a different way of working um I hate to use a culture. It's not, I'm not crutching off culture, but culture is what right. drives your business forward. So if right, you right. have a culture that in, encourages transparency and just being open and like, if you're having a problem at home or you're on the verge of tears, get to work, cry it out and then go do your job. You know, just, you, you don't have to hide stuff. Um, instead of it doing that for me, where it made the technicians feel like they were uh, exposed. Uh, instead, it's made it easier to attract the younger generation of techs where you're not buying bananas that are mushy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm not buying something closer to its expiration date. I'm currently the oldest employee at our business and I'm 44 years old. Um, and I want to stay that way. I mean, I'm not against it, but I don't want to have people retiring while I still need them. So the transparency of it, I, I, my technicians all agree they never will go back to paper. They said it's faster, it's easier, it's more efficient. It's so much better to just slam a picture in for what you're doing. And they recently added, a, they come up with ideas. It gives them a creative edge. They take pictures of when they're done. They started taking pictures of all finished repairs so the customer can contrast the old or the new or they'll put both parts together and take a picture so you can see. Um, I think it's given them another platform that they can express their love for fixing the customer's cars. Yeah. They can express what, that's why they do what they do. Anyone that tells you it's because of the money, they're lying. It's not the money. They like to take something broken, manipulate it with their hands and show it's fixed. And if they can show that to the customer, 
you don't have the tech at a dealer that's writing down their tech notes. It's a whole book and they know the service advisors typing in fixed car. It's good. You know, you, there's nothing lost in the translation. They get to put pictures in the customer's phone. They really like to, to give that information. So your technicians can actually embrace that transparency uh, as a, a edge that other shops would not have. And that's a retention tool for those technicians also. Can I, can I add something there? Because I think, uh, so when you talk about that digital transformation, one of the things that I really look at as a benefit, and when I, when I say this uh, about technicians is technicians crave to be seen as professionals big time, right? Like that's something that we talk to a lot of technicians about and they want, they want to get that respect level because that ultimately leads to maybe better pay or, you know, just more respect in the industry so that when you go to your guidance counselor when you're in high school and say you want to go be a technician, the guidance counselor doesn't roll their eyes and say, okay, lost cause, see ya. Uh, it's it, an actual, like, the, the digital platform, I think, takes that professionalism to the next level, right? And for the technicians that are out there that might be listening to this, I think that's that's the part that really excites me about this side is that, you're able to take that professionalism to a whole new level. And it's not a handwritten work order or it's not a, you know, a handwritten inspection that has oil on it. And, you know, just kind of a, maybe not as, not as professional appearing to the customer. And that to me is a, a transformation of the entire industry. I think that's a, that's a hugely vital piece of what we're all trying to get to. And so, and so to go back, because, you know, to what Uva said is that, you know, that, that, that tech did write in and he said, Hey, I'm, you know, this isn't for me. Uh, I'm used to being a, you know, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I don't need anybody micromanaging me. I don't need anybody, you know, looking over my shoulder, even if you're doing it digitally. So at the same, you know, degree should, how deep should that transparency be in that vetting process? Do you say, Hey, we're a digital shop and this is how we do our inspections and this is how we track your labor and this is how we track your activities. And kind of put that on the table right up front because if somebody goes, well, yeah, you know, I'm not into that. I know what I'm doing. I don't need this. You, you kind of discover that in the beginning, right? Tom with us, we have a test work order. I've mentioned it before. I wrote a work order on my mower because you can just do whatever you want to the work order and there's no consequence. So if the techs want to play with something, they can do it. And we just, we add an inspection and during the interview, we give them an inspection on a tablet and just let them play with it. Like here, try this. See if you like it. There's no consequence. It's my mower, so I don't care. Try taking pictures. Try clicking and just, you get to see how they interact with something digital because if they're doing this, maybe not so good. They might have a little learning curve, you know, or if they're flipping it or if you see them like talking to it and not pushing any buttons, you know, I mean, but to give them that, that taste to see if they like it, um, that's very reasonable because I can't understand why some shop owners think that going digital is a waste. The cars are getting smart enough to drive themselves. <laughs> how, how is there a world that a paper inspection makes sense when the car that you're working on can drive itself home? I, I, don't, I don't see how that, 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 that part, like the inspection is the part, you know, the non-texting. So, I mean, I think digital inspection is just a piece of what we're gonna find as we evolve and as we grow. Um, where customers will see auto repairs, a digital experience. They send their car to the shop. They don't even go. Um, the car drives itself to you. You do your DVI. You send it to them. They text you what they want to do. They text to pay. And effectively, you talk to them digitally. You don't even talk to them on the phone. That's coming. 
it's yeah. here on some shops. Some shops do it, you know. So I hope that helps, Tom. Well, and I think there's there's some level of if you're struggling, I, I see a lot of shop owners that struggle to get, as, especially good techs, uh, to do inspections in general, right? Not even virtual inspection, or like, uh, like not even a digital inspection, but an actual like inspection. And it's because the, you know, the, the, maybe the tech says, hey, I, I'm not doing those. I'm, I'm not going to do those inspections. And one, that's a culture thing. That, that means that's probably not a good fit for your shop. But the, I, I'm guessing the same ones that fight doing a, a digital inspection are the same ones that fought doing a just a normal inspection 10 years ago, right? Like it's, it's probably the same kind of demographic of people that are fighting against that. And it, it is, you know, for, for text to just embrace that is such an important piece. And, and one thing that I would add to what Fred said is they need to understand why it's important to do it, right? And I think in a lot of cases, it's, you know, the manager going out and saying, hey, here's this inspection, you need to do this, it's your job, do it. Rather than sitting down with them and saying, you know, why do we do these inspections? And, and really understanding what the value is to the customer and the safety of the customer, but then the business of, of what you're doing there. And so it doesn't seem like, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this uh, inspection so that we can oversell everything that's on the car. That's not the intent. The intent is to keep them safe, right? So I, I think understanding the why is such an important piece of, of what the technician's role is in the shop and that's not just this part, like inspections or anything like that, but the why you're, you're making them do stuff in general is a, a huge management advantage. Yeah, and, and if I may, I mean, one of, one of the things we encountered, and I don't know how much hair I lost over it, there's not much left, was technicians wouldn't do an inspection and and, and we heard the story, right? Yeah, they're not getting paid for it. But, but I couldn't believe this is the whole truth, right? And then we tried to go into, you know, almost anthropological studies of what's going on in the shop and, and, and discovered there's kind of a dependency, you know, it, it was about pencil whipping, right? Right, how is pencil whipping coming about? And and there is a dynamic between service advisor and technician that if one side is not doing what they're supposed to, the, a trust issue can, can arise, right? If, if a service advisor doesn't put every finding on an estimate because they're short on time or don't believe they can sell it, right? Then a technician says after the third time, why should I put the work in? And or the clever ones say, oh, so, so, so let me find out what he can sell especially well and check that for every car, right? And, um, and, and so now with the digital ability to measure that, that there should be also for recruiting of text, that they have now an, a huge impact bigger than before on what's being presented to the customer. That's new, right? That, that didn't exist before. And, and, and that should be uh, um, not only a booster of morale, but also of pride, as you said, about creating something and fixing something. I mean, am well, I off? Well, and also, and let me ask you too, to add to that is, 
do you run into where, you know, the tech isn't going to, doesn't want to do that inspection because, Hey, you know, that's what the C techs do or the shop that I kind of started in, you know, there was right. a progression and, and, and I've, I've been promoted. I, you know, inspections isn't my thing anymore. Do you run into that also? Is that, uh, you know, kind of a roadblock, especially when you're transitioning from a different, you know, you hire somebody out of a different shop. Those are things that should have came up during the interview process. <laughs> That's what I was saying. That out there, like there's definitely a disconnect if you hand them a tablet and they're like, what's this for? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're very up. I, I did have a technician in the past that he said the words, I feel like if I do another inspection, I'm going to blow my own brains out. And I was like, <laughs> He said that. He sat there and said that. And I'm like, well, that sounds like you don't want to be here anymore. And he's like, no, I'm done. And he left. Um, and that said to me, you know what? All the technicians, all the advisors, as they interview, need to know we're an inspection-based company. Um, our technicians do the inspection not only because they know that they owe it to the customer, but they know that customer's trusting them to tell them about their car as a whole so that they can have that whole vehicle view. Um, but yeah, when you the the ego is a very dangerous thing. Um, egos do more damage than they do good, but all of us have one. We just don't know what to do with it. We just you gotta find it. that out in that vetting process. Hey, real quick, also, uh, Fred, Barry Ireland's asking, are you paying your techs to do the inspections? We, we do pay them by selling work off of it. Um, we also pay them by, we have our pay is a hourly with a progressive flat rate. So it's not pure flat rate, but no, I do not give flat rate time for inspections. Uh, about a month ago, we had a meeting and I asked, um, are you guys okay that we're not giving flat rate time for inspections? And they're like, it takes 20 minutes. They're like, it takes 20 minutes and sells two and a half hours per car. They're like, it's fine. And we also add, uh, 22% across the board to all labor times for rust because Ohio, uh, and it gets back some of your inspection time and little added freebies that you do for customers. So we do have different ways, but we don't put point three on the inspection line because that creates a whole set of problems. People think if I pay my techs, I'll get good inspections. <laughs> it does happen sometimes, but now I paid you to do this. You need to do better. It causes a whole nother set of problems that a lot of people haven't thought about. And you will never get that back. If you pay for inspections, you will never get back to not paying for inspections. Yeah. Does yeah, that answer, Tom? You know, yeah. Thank you. You know, it's an incredible thing because could you imagine, um, you know, a doctor didn't do an inspection right? I, I pay my doctor for inspections. Well, but here I pay my doctor for an inspection every year, Tom. I'm sure Jay does. I'm sure Uva does. And because I pay my doctor for an inspection, he gets paid for it. So for the general, the person that messaged in, are you charging your customers for the inspections? If you are not charging for them, how are you going to pay somebody to do it? Not many successful businesses have a service that they don't charge any money for and they pay somebody to do. So that, that's the <laughs> no-brainer to me right there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Carlos' uh, showroom over here is yelling at me. Um, and so I just wanted to add his, con you know, his knowledge isn't everything, right? Nothing is worse than an employee with an unpredictable attitude. You can improve change and teach skills, but you cannot change the personalities. Or, and, they, you know, he says that at his uh, shop, they hire on the personality, right? We, um, positive attitude, easygoing individuals in the long run, if they fit the culture, and the way they do business, they'll stay and become part of the family. Um, and so, and, you know, and that is, that is kind of the, 
in the nutshell of what we're talking about here is really, you know, even if you're, you know, make your vetting process. I mean, when you, you know, you go into larger organizations or, you know, you're outside of the automotive industry, you might have two, three interviews, or you might have a group interview where you interview with the initial person and you come in and you interview with the whole team you're going to be working with. And that's similar to, you know, inviting them over to the, get shot in the face by the paintball day that uh, Fred, <laughs> Fred just, you know, I told you he's outside of the box thinker. Um, but, but how do you incorporate that Jay, right? How do we bring that in as a regular process thing so that we don't forget to do it here and we remember to do it here what do you recommend to folks to have that kind of a, a, you know, a really bulletproof process as far as it comes to vetting, as far as it comes to discovering the cultural fit, and then really ramp up and training, right? Uh, how do you get them in? And, and Uva, if you could follow up also on that, because I think that's where the digital shop really, again, brings in a component that allows you to can that ramp up, at least from the, you know, inspection and workflow management operational perspective, um, you know, to, to make sure that they're right fit before you hire. Jay? Yeah. So I, I think the, the primary issue that I see is the want to do it in the first place, right? So the, the, you hear a lot of, of, you know, even from us or from whoever, like proactive recruiting, proactive recruiting, proactive recruiting, and yet so few do it. And it's, you know, we can point to a process, we can point to anything, but I think the, the general, the general want to do it and, and really want to put a process in place and want to, to follow that process and have the discipline to follow that process is huge. Now, I, I will say one of the things that when we talk processes and we talk about getting somebody in the door uh, I'm a big fan of what Fred does and has them in with the team and, and talks with them. I've suggested more of going to dinner with uh, that individual. So if uh, I think in Dave Ramsey's book, Entree Leadership, he talks about that where he says, you know, not only do you get to know the tech or the, the, the possible employee, you get to know the, the, the spouse. And that can be, that can play as big a role in somebody's, uh, work and how much pride they take in their work and how, you know, how much mentally they're there, because if they're battling a whole bunch of stuff at home, you're going to have a lot of issues on your hands. And that could be showing up late to work. That could be, you know, it, it's a variety of different things, but if their brain's not there, they're not going to be there. And so, you know, I think that's great advice uh, from the start of, of, you know, if you're getting serious with somebody and you want to learn more about them, sitting down with them uh, and going, you know, go have dinner with them, have their, you know, their, their wife or husband, if it's a female tech, come in with them. And you can learn a lot about that individual through that, that type of conversation, how they interact. Fred, go ahead. The way we, we call it the family interview and the way that we segue, because when I started doing that, people's spouses freaked out. They're like, I don't want to mess this job up for you. And they, <laughs> so, and that's a lot of pressure because it's unheard of. So we call it the family interview. And I present it as this is your spouse's opportunity to interview me. Because I want to make sure the boss at home is okay. And in the case where someone's not married or whatever, the number one person in your life, when you have a great day, the person you celebrate with, when you have a bad day, the person you go to my lead tech, I interviewed with a sister. 
Um, so that's the segue because people are like, I'm not going to talk these people to bring in their wife in for dinner. You know, let the spouse pick where, let the spouse pick when, and let them interview you. And you get to see the two people, how they interact, who's in charge of who. If there's constant clashing during dinner, you know that that might be a red flag. So I just wanted to give that to you, Jay, as a, a way that we overcame the hesitation because I've had spouses say they don't want to go. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's, that's why you subscribe to the Digital Shop Talk Radio because you don't <laughs> want to miss an episode because, you know, we get people in here that know stuff. And that, I mean, that is a fabulous piece of advice right there, Fred. I think a lot of people are probably scribbling that down on a piece of paper and about to implement that. Um, interview me, you know, and like you said, put them on where they're comfortable, let them pick the turf and you come in and boy, because if that sends a message that we're looking at a long-term relationship here and you better be too. Yes, exactly. And I exchange phone numbers with that person during that interview and be like, hey, if something you need to talk to me, I'm not just the fictitious person that you hear your husband's complaining about and praising about and you're all confused. I'm now a real person that you can contact at any time. And getting a link where your work team and your home team have at least an open channel of communication I've had that uh, avoid a couple catastrophes just because someone had a bad morning, nothing yeah. went their way. And I get a text from the wife like, they're kind of on the rampage today. I'm just giving you the heads up. Um, and it's nice to at least know what you're walking into. And yeah, I've called her, I've called the wife on the way to work and be like, give me some advice, girl. I don't know what to do if dude's tripping. Like, give me some ideas because this is your man. Um, I've got him all day, you know, and, and it's good because that, that lets you know you're in for the long term. Bill Connor, real quick, is asking, what do you do if they pick a place where they don't serve cow? No, no, no steak on a stick. What? Where, where is this place? Where would this be? <laughs> Bring a burger with you. There's so many options. Bring your own stick, right, Fred? Yes. Yeah. Tofu yeah. on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. I mean, that's really, that's brilliant. You know, and it's funny, too, because Bill and, and uh, Carlos actually posted almost the exact same thing, right? It's a shop culture um you know it's their job to get that inspection done uh carl says you know they have the a and the c techs doing the inspections there um because it is where they they really said it's our job to give the complete and um, um you know uh, status of that vehicle to the customer it's really about the customer it's about what you deliver to the customer not about who does it and how it's a great idea to have that checks and balances in there between the a and the c tech so that you make sure it's comprehensive and you can you know get them to do it right the first time well and I, just to add one last thing there is it doesn't matter every shop has kind of that alpha tech or that 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 person that is that everybody looks up to and what he says or she yeah. says is the you know that's that's what goes and they look up to you know they look up to that person if that person doesn't create a great culture and that goes for inspections that goes for anything you're gonna have one heck of a hard time getting getting the rest of the shop to buy in so when 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 we talk culture that is maybe the most important hire in a shop not just from a technical standpoint but how everybody else is going to follow uh something as simple as an inspection or something you know a, a, picking up a broom and sweeping the floor. If nothing's going on, they, that person sets kind of the tone for the rest of the shop. And if that person's not right, you're going to have one heck of a battle on your hands. That's right. not always your a tech. Just right. Exactly. In yes, our and shop, that, and, our leader in the shops are B tech and it's working extremely well. So it's not always going to be your a tech, your advisor. It could be the wash guy. You never know. 
Yes. That's, yes. That's, and that's exactly back to Uva's point, right? Is when you hire somebody who, you know, you feel threatened is going to be better than you or could potentially replace you. Is that a healthy thing? Does that competition in there drive a better culture? Um, or can it go off the rails and into the weeds quickly? And then these two are, you know, there's a toxic environment between these two fighting it out, especially if one's, you know, the A tech and one's the B tech. I mean, that makes it even more difficult, I would, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's where one bad hire can impact the entire shop and, and the entire business, you know, that that can, that can turn a great shop into a not so great shop overnight. Wow, yeah, that's, that's really an interesting, that's an interesting dynamic, because I know I hear at Auto Bottles what we do. I know we we go out of our way to try to put that, that dynamic in place to get people to drive each other to be to be better to compete in a healthy uh manner but boy it sure could go sideways with a quickness and and it's hard to unring that bell you know because it doesn't take long for everybody else on that team to pick a side and hopefully they're not in the death spiral you know I have an observation to share. We are talking about recruiting and the one word you hear every single time, normally extremely quickly is technician shortage. We haven't right. even used it and we're almost over. So, so tell me about <laughs> You are. Well, I, yeah, what about a tech shortage? What tech shortage? Yeah, I, this is the first I'm hearing of this, Uva. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I, I, I think so to me, what we need to work on as an industry is working on keeping the people we have in the business and creating such a great industry that people don't want to leave. Because if we keep recruiting people in and we and granted, we need to do that too, right? I'm not saying that stop going to high schools and tech schools and trying to get more people in, but we've got a real problem with veteran techs flat out leaving the industry. And it could be because of pay. It could be because they want to take care of their bodies. You know, there's a number of different things, but when, when our highly skilled people leave the industry and then we try to replace them and then we just don't have enough people to replace them. And especially as baby boomers are getting older and getting closer to retirement age, that's a real concern for us at Finder Wrench. It's a real concern for everybody uh, throughout the industry. And that's where, when we look at it, we, we've got to focus not only getting more people in the industry, we've got to really focus at taking care of the people that are here already so that when we do bring more people in, we've got a solid foundation. And there's, there's times where we just, I, I think we miss that. And to, but, but it, go ahead, Fred. Sorry. Um, I was going to say one of the main problems with entry-level technician jobs is that entry-level other stuff pays more. And there's no investment, right? Like, like, it, like a tech where a tech is having to buy their own tools. They're oftentimes yeah. the exactly. least paid person that has the highest investment. Right. To, to well, go and front. like a plumber, what's a plumber got to buy? A couple hundred bucks worth of stuff, thousand dollars worth of stuff, and he's good. Electrician, three thousand dollars worth of stuff. Technician, hundred thousand dollars worth of tools. Eight thousand dollars worth of tools. <laughs> Um, and, and that's one of the problems. Is, 15 bucks an hour. <laughs> right. You know, and you're in California, just saying. Um, so there's the whole pay problem. And then like Uva touched earlier, the recognition of being um, not being thought of as, oh, you're a grease monkey. You know, that, that yeah. stigma still hasn't been overcome. And 
going to the future when the cars are just 10 million lines of code with a bunch of modules and an electric motor and a battery, um, the technician is going to be the smartest of the blue collar trades, but we've got to find a way to bring our industry up to where it's a more attractive career path. Because if you're coming out of high school, like I don't want to go to college, I could be a plumber go to the union or go to the plumber's hall, go wherever you're going to go, figure out how to be a plumber. In a couple of years, you're making money already. Go be an electrician, go be a welder, go be a carpenter, or should I go sign up for a snap-on for life program? You know, where you're just going to pay them weekly for the rest of your foreseeable. around a, a cool van. It just doesn't look good. And we have to find a way to, with our recruitment, to make it look good. And as an industry, let it look good because it's hard to figure out a broke car. It's not easy. Yeah, that's, that's, Fred, you and I have had conversations about that too, where, you know, trying to figure out different ways to solve this puzzle, right, or put this puzzle together. And that, you know, when we, when we launched Wrenchway, that was a big thinking behind that is we've got to showcase the best of the best that are out there, because that's the way that we keep people in the industry. That's how we attract more to the industry. It really, at the core of it is, to me, what we need to fix about our industry. Man, I can't believe the show's almost over. I need another half hour. <laughs> How did this happen? Well, both Fred and I are pretty shy. We don't talk a whole yeah, lot. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I could go all day. You know, yes, those dynamics that you just explained are coming. They're happening as we speak. But what happens when I have to have advanced degree? What happens if I have to go to computer science in a, you know, in a four-year type college, and then I can go work at Auto Vitals and get paid, slightly more but you know i mean now you're competing against us a, a literal software you know computer science type job or going to shop and make a you know apprentice wage and and like you said invest all that money in my tools i don't have to invest a hundred thousand dollars and you know i think it's a little tiny screwdriver that opens up a computer and you can get them at the you know harbor freight <laughs> you know <laughs> i think they're a nickel but um but what happens when when that comes in and now other industries are starting to even rob away not just trade industries you know be a plumber or be a tech but now be a you know software engineer or be a tech even be on the geek squad it might pay more right just go down and fix broken stuff well and that's that's one of the things we talked about during tech mission that i think is is a conversation that we're going to have to start having more often which is what are the future of labor rates for shops in general? And as the technology advances, so does the tooling, so do the people, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to take some raise in labor rate. I, I just don't see a way where we, I agree. And Fred, I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your take on this. Cause that's just something that I see where I'm like, we've, we got to change something. And like earlier, and, and also if you could, like what I posed earlier, do you see in the future there's, you know, um, uh, uh, this master tech that's got all this specialized training who now becomes like, you know, uh, an independent. He just, you know, sells his services to multiple shops. Diagnostician, right? Already, there are already businesses with prospect. Yes, there yeah, is. Well, sure, locally but... to us, they're mobile uh, automotive diagnostic techs that um, they, uh, the, the mobile programming company closed. So the two techs just opened their own thing. And if there's a shop that can't figure a car out, you call this guy, he comes out, charges you a couple hundred bucks, figures it out and leaves. Specialization is one of the options like was mentioned, but it's unreasonable to think that 
all independent shops become specialized because pride gets in the way. It's hard to say, no, I can't figure out your car because I don't work on those and have all this pride. Um, I and like to, if I may, and if I may, customer service goes down too because you now start sending them to different doctors, so to speak. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No accountability and, either because you sent me here right. and they didn't fix it. And I right. like to use right. the furniture industry to compare our automotive underpricement. Furniture is the opposite. They have a tremendous overpricing, and because all the furniture people decided they're going to take a two hundred dollar couch and sell it for a grand, they do. And there's a few places like Big Lots where you can go get a couch that's a little bit less nice for 200 bucks. But if you want a nice couch, it's a thousand dollars. Doesn't matter what you do, you can go online. They just, it yeah. doesn't exist. And as an industry, we can't price fix and be like, all right, all shops are at least 200 bucks an hour. Like we can't do that. But having more shop owners be business owners versus be mechanics that have an open sign on the front of this building um, where they're looking at their cost, realizing what they need to pay mechanics to keep those technicians on staff and not leaving the industry. And then what kind of profit do you have to make off that labor to be renewable and then charge that way? That's my side, Jay, is I, I just did my labor review increase uh, a couple of weeks ago and it went up a dollar six an hour. I, I take my cost, my average cost for my hours. I know what my profit margin I need is and I just calculate it out and that's what I charge. I don't care what anybody else is charging. You know, love, love that approach. It's hard. It's hard because you'd be scared when you see the, the across the street from me is a shop that charges forty dollars to do a check engine light, and our shop's one hundred and fifty-two. I don't care. You have no. to stop caring what everybody else is doing and do what's the right thing. And just do what you do really, really well, right? And that's like that's it, when you do that, you can you can charge, and people will still come. <laughs> like that's that's what I hope people get out of this. Yeah. You don't pay for a piece of beef at Ruth Chris 150 bucks because it's such good beef. It's not, <laughs> it's not that, you know. You get a burger at Rob, Red Robin, a burger at McDonald's, it's beef. It's ground up cow. It doesn't matter how you look at it. Um, it's the service. It's the experience. And create an experience. Fixing the car is no longer important. It does matter. But that is the very most bottom important thing in the customer's eyes. The experience as a whole is the way you retain customers and employees, technicians. If you're giving them a great work experience that helps them have a great life experience, mm -hmm. why would they go anywhere else? That's, that's the key point of the entire thing. Like create a foundation. Yes, create a great foundation that, of a great place to work at. And honestly, I think that leads into the, the customer satisfaction side. The, the ability to, to charge more because you have better customer experience, but it starts with people. And if you can figure out ways to pay those people and treat them right, I think you win in this business. Yeah. And it all comes back to treating the customer, right? Because then the customer allows you to treat the, the staff and, and, you know, set your labor rates where they need to be to attract, you know, it's funny, Bill, you know, kind of something to end. I can't believe we're at the top of the hour. We got to go. I mean, I got to have you guys back on. I have a whole nother, you know, hour to explore. I got, we got to dig into this, uh, you know, this upcoming tech tsunami thingy or whatever's happening. The tech will get in. Um, but Bill saying, Bill saying, you know, Hey, the industry devalues itself by, by trying to be, the customer hero based on price instead of delivering quality. And Carlos basically said the exact same thing, right? We price our labor rate on what we deliver, not what the market's pricing. 
Um, and, and that takes a lot of courage. You know, you have, it's courage of your conviction. It's courage of your product. And you have to be able to get out there and put that stamp on there. And yeah, like to what Fred said, is a guy across the street charging 40 bucks. So what? Um, we're going to have to charge you double uh, after he break, <laughs> breaks it, you know, <laughs> and you got to come over here to have it fixed. And, you know, it's a long haul. And it's one of those things where you have to stick by that gun. You have to make that mark and put that, that flag in the sand and then you have to defend it. You can't just start moving the goalposts around it uh, because it's scary or, you know, revenue's down today. And, you know, you really have to commit and double down and it has to be a team effort uh, and you have to get after it. And, you know, we see it, right? We see, we look at metrics all day in shops and we know the ones that stick to those guns and it pays off, right? Because then they're putting up, you know, a trajectory that they could never even imagine under paper competition, you know, market pricing be damned, right? It, it's, it's about that quality. It's about setting. It's why people line up around the block for, you know, Apple product, right? For the iPhone release, phone's a phone. Boy, they'll line up and sleep in tents on the sidewalk to get that thing. Um, not me, but some, some do. Um, Fred? No, I'm agreeing with Apple because why not? I just don't. Yeah. I'm not part of the Apple cult. <laughs> yeah just hey, throwing it out there bill's asking i guess a uh, uh you know operational question did you test the voice to text on your pc uh, i did but bill i need to train um who's the lady in the windows based pc cortana i have not trained cortana because my voice is the anti talk to text my google assistant knows what to do but i have not trained cortana to hear my voice so it does work but uh, bill shared with me uh windows and the h key turns any Windows 10 computer into voice to text. Coolest thing in the world. Didn't know that. And it's a toggle on and off. You don't hold it. You click Windows H and it pops up with the window and you just you talk and it all comes out and you hit Windows H. So you must train Cortana if your voice sounds like this though. <laughs> so Uva, if you decide to get rid of all Apple products in your life and go to Windows, you'll have to train Cortana. <laughs> look, look, I, I, I had that um, conversion to the face conversion already. I don't think I'm going to go back. <laughs> oh, you're off of Apple? No, 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 no. Oh, I, <laughs> I was a Windows user and believer. He, and he, he, you know, normally he's wearing a black turtleneck even. He's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's how big of a fat boy he is. <laughs> that's funny. Hey, listen, we got to get, guys. That's a, that's um, a good one. <laughs> gotta get but before we go i want i just want to tomorrow is the digital shop summit uh so if you're not registered get over to the digital shop summit.com get registered we're having a all day breakouts great uh you know you don't want to catch mine specifically i think i'm at 10:45 or something like that but uh get get registered next week we're talking multi-shops uh we've got fred haynes coming on we've got uh jr luna coming on uh, to talk about you know one guy's an independent and he's kicking butt through COVID, opening, you know, and expanding his business. The other guy comes from the franchise side, Honest One, and kind of would be a great dynamic on, on how they both approach that, how the digital shop allows them to clone themselves pretty much, right, through and, and be able to wrangle all those kittens, herding them kittens when, uh, when you're talking about uh, multi-shop management. So um, same time, same place, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Jake and Eddie, man, I can't uh, thank you enough for coming in. You are an awesome, awesome guest. I look forward to having you on again, talking more. We got a lot to talk about still. Oh my and uh, Fred Gisweeky, of course, as always, buddy. Um, 
can't can't uh, thank you enough, man. I got to get out to Canton. I got to get out and have that steak on a stick. Uh, once this COVID thing and trade shows start up and we get to do workshops and stuff like that again, um, or I'm going to twist both of your arms and be coming out to the digital shop conference if we get to have it live and in person this next you know coming year. Um, can't wait to have both of you and uh, and see you again. Uva, as always, thank you, sir. Uh, your you. insight and brilliance is highly regarded. Even without total neck. Even without total neck. <laughs> I think you put it on after the episode, and I, and I, and I don't shame you for that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's just got like the priest thing, where he just uh, he puts it back right. on like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Put a little paper towel there real quick. What? <laughs> oh, it's October. It's Halloween. What? All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I know you learned a lot of stuff. Uh, send us your ideas. Come on the show and talk about your success. We'd love to have you on. Till uh, next Wednesday, get out there and make some more money in 2020.